Welcome to the Brand Sign Project. I'm Carly. I'm Carlton. And today with us we have Joe Lavery. Uh, Joe's a marine biology um, specialist, a public aquarium specialist, who's worked for really big name brands um, in aquarium brands. He's dedicated to his whole career to providing first rate visitor experiences and sharing his passion of animals with the public. Um, Joe, nice to see you. You too, great to be here. <laughs> cool. Um, so we're going to start off with a very short... Um, icebreaker which Carlton's going to lead because I feel like I know you too well Carlton has to get to know you so Carlton off you go awesome okay so it's called this or that Joe um I'm going to give you two options you just have to tell me which option you like okay <laughs> you no I love it already all right okay so first one is texting or talking or oh, talking every time Netflix or YouTube YouTube Hamburgers or tacos? Oh, it's got to be a taco, surely. I'm glad you said that because we weren't going to be friends for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean I've lost out with cotton? <laughs> no, 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 we're still going. We're still going. Um, Ariel or Jasmine? Oh, I think I'd probably have to say Ariel. Fish, just because right? of my application. <laughs> right, good choice. And we're going to do our last one, which is Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Mm, this is showing my age. You used to love milk chocolate, hate dark chocolate. I've done a complete 360. Yeah, um, you're getting no, old. 180? <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no big lover of, of dark chocolate these days. No. Awesome. Awesome. That's it. That's our icebreaker cool. session. Easy peasy. <laughs> yeah, anybody who chooses burgers over tacos, no. Mm, why? There's people not allowed on our podcast. Sorry, everyone. If that's what wow. you're here. <laughs> I get to stay. Oh. You get to stay. Yeah, we continue the interview. That's the if if you'd have said beggars at that point, we would have just stopped. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. And um, so, first question is, and this is a question I guess for everyone because it it kind of gives us an insight into who you are um, as a person. Is what did you think you were going to do when you were a child? What was your dream job as a kid? So. For for as long as I can remember, I have been obsessed by theatre and acting. And I mean, not just theatre, actually, but acting in general. Um, and I always thought I would go into TV and film. Um, and I, I did when I was a kid. I was, I was in uh, some pretty big films and a lot of TV series and things like that. Um, I was in Pampers adverts when I was like two. Wow. <laughs> maybe even younger than that, um, which I only found out as I got older. Um, and then probably when I was about 14 or 15, uh, the school wrote to my parents and asked them to come in for a, um, for a meeting and told them I was missing too much school because I was doing too many, taking too many days out for TV shows. Uh, and so I kind of canned it and, um, and then aquariums came into my life and I haven't looked back. Oh, wow. What a, I look, and this is why we asked the question, right? Because you just <laughs> never know what sort of resides in people's past. That's so cool. Awesome. Um, so the next question on our list is, dun, 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 dun. Um, what does a normal day at work look like for you today? So that's super interesting because I think, and as you both probably know, I mean, in the attractions industry, I, I don't think there's ever a normal day at work. Um, and I've, you know, I've only really worked in attractions other than the odd bit of bar work, um, and work on maybe, a, you know, research vessels and things like that. Um, and yeah, no two days 
have ever been the same for me, I think. Um, certainly now I'm self-employed and, um, it, you know, one day I could be on Zoom calls or, um, or, or design and sort of filtration or life support systems for an aquarium and the next day doing my bookkeeping. So, um, so my days are quite varied, but I, I try to make sure that I, um, you know, I go for a run you know, three, four times a week, something like that when we're allowed out to exercise. Um, and I, I try at least now while I'm self-employed and not doing the near the nine to five gig. Um, I try to get out and again, see friends and things while, while we're allowed. Um, but I'm, I'm very lucky. I've quite a varied work life. Yeah. I think the, the, I'd love to have one day uh, you you know you see these in in magazines quite a lot about what you know I get up at 5am or whatever and I have mm. I do yoga for an hour and then I have breakfast you know the the days of kind of these really productive people and I'd love to put that with the most most of the freelancers and self-employed people I know <laughs> like ah uh, you know I, I get up around 10 no that's really harsh um but that I think we're also and when you work for yourself it's it's nice actually to be able to um, choose your day and organize your day, how you work best. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, I, I mean, talking about that, I saw a YouTube video once where this guy was, his proper clickbait. This guy was like, you know, my 5am morning routine for maximum productivity. And it was things like, you know, take a cold shower at 5.05 in the morning. And, um, um, you know, it's not, it's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, just, I think just waking up at five o'clock in the morning is not for me personally. I mean, no, I'm, 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 I classify myself as a night owl. So mm, same. I'm normally yeah, sleeping at that time. And I am actually, I'm a real night owl. That's, well, and that is a question, Carlton, to, I think to add to our list for, for future guests is, I'd be interested to know how many people who are self-employed would specify that they're night owls <laughs> as opposed yeah. to, you know, the morning people. Cause I bet it's probably quite a lot of us. Mm. who work better in the evenings 100 percent. i mean i write all my best stuff or do all my best work you know past 10 p.m um you know i get a flash of inspiration at like 1 a.m in the morning and then wake up the next day and read through my stuff and i'm like well i'm a genius um, <laughs> that, well, that's, i think that's yeah. good that you still think you're a genius the next day <laughs> well, I, th I think sometimes i could probably you know get in my own way a little bit when i'm trying to focus too hard and actually once i start getting a little bit tired or you know I actually just want to get my work done and go to bed. I think it probably ends up slightly better. Yeah, really cool. Okay, Joe, I have your next question. And it's all about self-development and progression within the tourist attractions industry. So do you have any top tips that you can give to our listeners about how they can progress and how, what they need to kind of self-develop to move into the industry? Yeah, Um so I, so I think the, the first one, and I think somebody gave this advice to me actually a long time ago, was to, was to seek out skills and experience rather than waiting for it. Um, you know, if there's a job that you want, uh, I think a lot of people, myself included in the past, have applied for it and thought, you know, I'll be great once I get into the role and figure out how to do it and, and get taught. Um, but, but actually, you know, figuring out how to do some of those things and getting the experience you need beforehand and seeking it out, I think is, you know... Um, I think is the best way to do it. You know, put yourself in a position to get the job or to develop rather than waiting for it to drop in your lap. Um, networking, I think has become a bit of a dirty word sometimes. You know, people, <laughs> people have um, very polarizing views of networking. I mean, for me, you know, networking is super important, but there is, there is lots of ways you can define it. So I think 
getting out there and, and making connections and meeting people and doing favors for people just because you enjoy it. You know, if you're really in into your industry and you're really into your work, um, then doing things like this, you know, coming on a podcast or helping someone out with the bit of work they might be struggling with going to conferences and all of that stuff. I think that's really important when you don't expect anything back. Um, and then, you know, who knows where that will, where that will lead in the future, you know, sort of pay those things forward. I think proper networking is, is really important. And then, um, the third one would be to, to be strategic. So um, something that I, I've done for a long time is that if there's a job that I, that I want, so in the aquarium world, I always wanted to be an aquarium curator. Um, and so from the age of about 19 or 20, I was on you know, Indeed and Monster and all of those websites and downloading curator job descriptions and person specs and sitting through you know, for a couple of hours and highlighting all the same words that kept on coming up, you know, the, um, the essential and the desirable criteria and all the adjectives and buzzwords. And, um, and then for the following few years, I had this table with, you know, this is what you need to have to be a curator. And this is what would be nice to have. And then these are all the words that people use when they're advertising the curator job. Um, and it means that you've got sort of a three or four year head start because you can make sure you have all those essential criteria and the desirable criteria. And then when you're in the interview, you know, you already know the buzzwords that you need to be talking about. Um, so I'd say, you know, definitely my ultimate top tip, if you're wanting to get into a certain role in the future is, you know, prepare yourself, find out what people are looking for and then set about trying to um, acquire those skills, those essential criteria. Oh, um, I totally agree with you. Um, yeah. So just, Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, oh, sorry. It's okay. No problem. Um, I totally agree with you, Joe. Um, especially the last one. Um, we, I think we're too quick to kind of go through job descriptions and kind of like, oh, I like that job. I'll just apply for it. Um, and not really reading and the details of what the job um actually includes and what you what the skill sets you need. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are not getting jobs because they just don't read the job description properly mm. on there and getting the key words to kind of develop themselves um, and um, making sure that they have got what it takes to do the job and have the examples to, to show at the interview when if they do get selected. So, yeah, absolutely bang on on that one. Yeah, and I guess my question was going to be, so, so part of the reason... Uh, Carlton and I started this podcast was that I think there's a lot of jobs in the industry that sort of go unnoticed um, people don't really think of them as attractions jobs and I would say you know if I said name a career type in a in a tourist attraction marine biologist probably wouldn't be one of the first ones <laughs> that people choose no. and so I think can you just explain to you so you said about having the job of a curator could you briefly explain um, for those people who've never worked in an aquarium what that role entails? Because it's, it's a very specific job, but it's very really important, you know? Yeah, it's super niche. Um, so, I mean, most people know what a zookeeper does. You know, zookeepers look after terrestrial animals. Um, they feed them, they clean them, you know, clean out the exhibits um, and all of the sort of the behind the scenes work that goes into that. It's exactly the same for aquariums, but I think people um, probably, you know, find it a, a bit more magical because aquariums I think tend to be more you know um yeah just it's a it's a totally different world isn't it but the, so the role of a curator specifically is um to head up the team that looks after an animal collection at an aquarium um so that's everything from the day-to-day -day husbandry you know the the animal 
care um, everything from feeding them to making sure that the the water that they're swimming in is is you know is clean and, and healthy um treat treating animals that that from time to time get sick but also planning new exhibits um you know curators usually work sort of two to five years into the future to say where do we want this aquarium to go what do we want our collection to look like in a few years um so they have kind of a you know a, a strategic vision for the aquarium um and and then i guess you know every zoo and aquarium in the uk falls under the eu zoos directive so they all have to have a zoo license and as part of that zoo license um it's it's essential that zoos and aquariums are involved in research and conservation and education so while usually there's an education team that takes care of that side of things curators do get involved in that but i think one of the things that people often overlook is the 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 level to which curators get involved in conservation and research projects mm -hmm. and how that gets integrated into the day-to-day -day running of the aquarium um and certainly in the uk there are some really well respected and well-renowned aquariums the horniman museum in london has mm -hmm. got a great little aquarium and although they've got I can't remember something like, you know, 10 or 20 exhibits, maybe even less than that. Um, they are, you know, so well respected around the world for the research that they do in that aquarium. Um, and quite frankly, they, they put a lot of us to shame. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the work that they're doing on, on coral reproduction is not, you know, it's, it's not just something that's paying lip service to the, the zoo license. It's genuinely going to help research scientists and, you know, and conservation efforts in the wild. So, um, so it's a really wide-ranging job, um, and I was very fortunate to to have done it in in a couple of instances at a couple of aquariums. Um, yeah, I think one of the first things I ever did when I one of my first if you like proper jobs um, within the, the tourism industry, I was given the role of um, we had a birds of prey exhibit in the place I worked, okay. and in order to comply with that, we had to do the zoo license, and so. You know, I think it was it was a bit like that. If you're the last in, you get to organise the Christmas party. You know, so I was the last in, <laughs> so I got to be the person that did all the paperwork. And I just think remember thinking like, no one sees this. Yeah. Like, you know, outside of the the people that know what a zoo license application looks like, no one sees that this work goes on, and it's it's really in depth and you know really vital work. And you sort of brush it off because you think. Well, it's just, you know, it's just looking after animals, but it's not mm. just looking after animals, is it? It's such a, such a, you know, rich kind of vein of what keeps our animal based attractions open. And it's, it really is really important. Yeah, completely. And actually, you know, without thinking about it, I glossed over the admin side of it just then as well. Um, you're totally <laughs> right. You know, curators are, are managers, you know, they're doing everything from staff rotors and, and budget setting through to record keeping. I mean, the admin side of running an aquarium is enormous. Um, mm. You know, we have records that that tell you what food was fed to what animal on a given day over its history which tanks it's been in if you've moved it around the aquarium you know where it came from who its parents were um you know any treatments it's had in its life you know it, it, the amount of records for for running a zoo or aquarium attraction are, you know are absolutely mind-boggling um but it's you know as you say yeah super important joe your story is really inspiring and it, what i'm really getting out from this is it's all about education and how you are doing loads of research and loads of um, information gathering so you can kind of tell a story 
um, about these different species and different animals um, for our guests. Um, and that's kind of you working on the back of house part of the attraction. But then, you know, talking about the front of house, we do a similar thing. So where we meet and greet guests and make sure that they've got everything ready for the experience that the back of house team has created for them so that's amazing um and really really inspiring to to hear uh, do, do you know what i should say there's there's one story that sticks with me that that i've i want to get out there to as many people as possible so in my first aquarium job i was working on a rock pool so it's the you know the interactive touch pool where kids can come up and touch a starfish or a crab and um and i i, I remember working on this rock pool when i was probably about don't know 16 maybe and um there were a group of school kids that came in and they were you know they were riotous they were all over the place they're really loud and really excitable and the teacher came up to me and said i'm really sorry you know i'm really sorry they're really excitable um you know they just they've they've never seen these animals before and i said you know no no worries that's fine you know um they're they're really cool you know we'll get them to uh get the the, the the kids to hold the starfish and the crabs or whatever and she said yeah yeah you know they've never been to the seaside and that's when it hit me that this you know this class of school kids had never been to the seaside they'd never seen these animals in the wild let alone in an aquarium and that's the kind of responsibility that zoos and aquariums have um you know not not just education as a buzzword but genuinely showing people what what's out there on our doorstep yeah and i think you, it's really difficult to get that across because i think it's it's sort of when you talk about the, the the worldwide aquariums that people know, you kind of get the the idea of like, oh, okay, no one's gonna, not many people anyway, will see a killer whale in the wild. Not many people will see um, a whale shark in the wild. That kind of thing. But to say there are kids who have never seen a crab, have never seen a starfish. You know, yeah. I grew up. That to me is mind-boggling. But I know that I was very fortunate. And yeah, I think that's. It, it's hard to sort of get your head around that sometimes that, you know, some kids just don't have those experiences. It's really important yeah. that we educate them. Totally. And I think it's easy as well if you're, you know, lucky enough to have had those experiences as a kid. I think it's, it's quite difficult to, uh, it's quite easy rather to, um, to say zoos and aquariums, maybe don't have a place and why are we keeping these animals? But actually, you know, there are so many city centre children that don't grow up and they'd never get the chance to learn about these animals and then go on to care for them and protect them in the wild because they didn't have those experiences. So, yeah, I think especially, you know, now more than ever, zoos and aquariums are, are really important. Yeah, definitely. So far, we've talked about your career and what you've done, which has been fantastic. But what I would like to find out and ask you is... What has been your best career advice someone has given to you to help you in your career? So, so I started my career when I was at a public aquarium, Blue Planet Aquarium in Chester, sort of near well, Ellesmere Port in Chester. Um, and I was 15 when I started, just after my work experience. And after a few months, um, I was working late on a new exhibit, just you know, spending a bit of time volunteering. And one of the managers there said to me, um, Forget any expectations, you know, don't have any expectations about your career. And there's kind of two sides to it. So, so one was don't plan to do, you know, follow a certain career path because you never know where you'll end up or what you'll enjoy. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's especially true of people that are obsessed with, let's say theme parks and they go and work in a theme park. And, and actually, you know, if they're laser focused on just working in theme parks then they might never discover that actually their passion is, 
is HR or engineering and they find that through working in a theme park where they're, you know, they get access to all of those things. So, um, so I think, you know, yeah, not having too fixed expectations, but then also not expecting things. Um, I've, I've certainly in the past, uh, you know, expected a promotion for a certain job and, and then been sort of confused why I didn't get it. And um, it's only years later that you realize, you know, you, you shouldn't be promoted because you're the longest serving or because you're the one with the experience or the, or the degree. And actually that, that happened really early on. And, and that taught me that, you know, you've got to go out and make sure you get the promotion by having the right skills and having the right experiences. Um, so I think, yeah, the best career advice ever is to put your expectations to one side and be strategic and make decisions to put yourself in the right positions. Yeah, that that's really interesting as well about you saying you might have a real passion for theme parks, but then end up, you know, in HR because you you find a passion for it. So the one of the things that Carl, me and Carlton talked about in order to you know get this start this podcast and kind of inspired us to do it is that Carlton really sort of had an idea that this would be a career he would have, <laughs> yeah. which I don't, you know I don't think is a putting words in your mouth. Hopefully, um, no, you're but right. I. I got into it totally by accident. So interestingly, you know, Joe, you said about thinking you would, you would be an actor or, you know, you'd have a career is that I did performing arts at university. So I had really no interest. I, I didn't know that tourism was a, was a career that would be a career. <laughs> I had no mm. idea. Um, and so for me, it was, you know, I totally fell into it. And I think that there's a lot of serendipity that you can, you can find in your career that you would have maybe missed out on those things. If, if you weren't a little bit more open to those. Totally. Yeah. I think being open to opportunities because they come from all over the place. Right. You know, and yep. um, I, I've certainly benefited from things falling in my lap or, or, or being put in my lap by other people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, being open to them, I think, you know, you can end up in lots of really interesting places. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today and sharing your inspirational stories about your career. It's been great an eye-opener for me and I've definitely learned some stuff that I didn't know uh, as well so thank you so much um Carly it's over to you it's been a pleasure um Joe can you just quickly before we uh sign off can you tell us where um people can find you if they want to find more information about you yeah you can uh, you can find me on LinkedIn um you can find me at josephlavery.co.uk and if you're interested in aquariums, you can search for Aquariums Explained on uh, Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And um, uh, we've we're starting a podcast as well, and um, we're going to have hopefully some some really interesting guests on. So if you Excellent. do get turned on by zoo licenses, then maybe that's the one for you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so actually maybe there will be an episode in there just about me and you talking about zoo. <laughs> I think we should all over it, all over yeah. it. Well, thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much.